Lamani Schinkel of Take Heart Ministries. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to preach the gospel and to continue to tell people that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. A part of what we're doing is a weekly podcast. We'll focus upon different passages of scripture and heroes from the Bible. This week, we're going to be looking at Elijah. In fact, over these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the days of Elijah. Elijah lived during a difficult time in the land of Israel as we live in a difficult time today. And yet through it all, he stayed strong in the Lord and he brought God's faithful message to the people of Israel that they could take heart because they had a God who was strong and mighty against all the gods that Ahab and Jezebel and anyone else would bring up. Elijah's God prevailed. And on Mount Carmel and down in the valley and off in the desert, until the Lord took him to heaven, God was with him. And these are the days of Elijah. I want to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. We are beginning today a brand new study in the life and the times of Israel during the days of Elijah. It's a look into some very dark territory, folks. Um, it seemed uh, that God was far removed and far away from his chosen people, Israel. There would even be times when they would cry out, God, where are you? Why don't you, as the prophet Isaiah said, rend the heavens and come down? Where are you, God? You've removed from your people. The righteous were afraid. They were afraid to speak, and it seemed that if you were to write anything in the heavens, you would have written the words, no hope. If you wanted to write anything over the people of Israel, it was no hope. Evil and depravity and unrighteousness and perversion rule a day, and God's people in the middle of all of that grew very discouraged. It was a hard time for God's people. Prior to World War II, it was a hard time for God's people. Had you lived in Germany or across Europe when uh, Hitler rose to power, persecution broke out against the Jews, the Holocaust was beginning, there were men like Bonhoeffer who stood loudly, boldly, stood against the force of darkness that was pushing back modern civilization. There were also those who very quietly and solemnly and faithfully stood like the Ten Boom family. And this little Dutch family prepared a hiding place in their home where those persecuted Jewish people could hide away. And they did that. They did that for quite a long period of time until finally an informer gave them away toward the end, actually toward the end of World War II. And so they were hauled off to a Nazi prison camp. Corey Ten Boom, who wrote the book The Hiding Place, her father would die just a few days after they went into the prison camp. Corey and her sister Betsy would survive many days in that Nazi prison camp. And just shortly before World War II came to an end, Betsy would die. And Corey would live out the rest of that war in Ravensbrück, Nazi prison camp. She was a great lady who loved God and had such great insight. She lived a long time that she could speak into my generation. This is what she wrote. 
She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Folks, we have an engineer we can trust. It's not time to run up the flag of surrender or bitterness. It's a time to trust the engineer. Keep your ticket. This train's bound for glory. God's going to take us through. I'll give you that word of encouragement this morning because even in the darkest of times, whether you were talking about an Israel that abandoned their God or a Germany where the Holocaust came down or whatever period of time we've gone through as a nation, when we've gone through our darkest days, our God who is the engineer continues to take us on through. God who watches over Israel never slumbered or sleep. And the Bible tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Corey Ten Boom wrote something else, something I want you to hear this morning because it makes up the outline of my message today. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. Say that with me, distressed. Say it again, distressed. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you will be depressed. Do you feel a little of that? Do you feel almost like that uh, uh, you need to lower your flag to half-staff because something has died? Someone has died? And so there's a, there's a feeling of, of grief. There's a feeling of mourning. It's almost as if I, I feel depressed by the news that is around me. So she said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ you'll be at rest. So distressed or depressed, you put, you put your eyes upon Jesus. You trust the engineer that's still running the train. We are privileged to live in these days. We're privileged to be believers of Jesus Christ in these days. And this is a time that God has given us the opportunity to really let our light shine. Because there's going to be people that are going to, they're, they're going to kick off all restraints. They're going to run as far as they can, they can in the pursuit of happiness. And when they have run as far as they can in their pursuit of happiness and they have not found happiness, who's going to have the answer? The answer is where it's always been. The answer is Jesus Christ. We need to stand today. Now, let me say that I wrote this sermon. I worked on this sermon. It's been in my mind for quite a while as we began this, but I actually kind of put this thing together on Wednesday. So I didn't know about all the decisions that come, but I just want to tell you something, folks. God's Word speaks into our culture every day. So would you write down, first of all, I look at the world around me and I am distressed. It's a distressing picture. Turn in 1 Kings chapter 16, hear the words of the Lord. In verse 29, and in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, 
king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal. The proper pronunciation is Baal. He went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now turn a few pages over, if you would, to First Kings chapter 21. These two words on, these two verses about Ahab. In First Kings chapter 21, verse 25, the Bible says, But there was none likened to Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in, the, in following idols, according to all the things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. If you had been a believer in the Lord God, the one true God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, whatever name you want to use, the great I Am, if you'd been a believer in Israel in that time, your heart would have been greatly distressed when you looked around you. Because when you look around, this is what you see. When they looked around, they saw a land that politically was divided. Really, folks, there was a northern kingdom of Israel and there was a southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was made up of ten tribes. The southern kingdom of Israel was made up of the tribe primarily of Judah, but also Benjamin. This had all come about after the death of Solomon. You say, what, what's, what's he talking about? Just stay with me. You need a history lesson. Uh, believe me, trust me, you need a history lesson. So this had all come about with Solomon. There was a, the, after Solomon, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And the people came to him and said, the taxes that we've been paying for so long and the oppression that we've known under Solomon to do all the building programs that he wanted, they're about to break our back. Would you lighten our load? And so instead of listening to the old people, the old people said to Rehoboam, if you'll do what the people are asking and you'll lighten their load and you'll love your people, they will serve you all the days of their life. If you'll just be good to the people in your land. And, but the young people, they said, it's time that, you know, what has happened in the past, we need to increase this. We need to push this agenda on along. And so what we need to do is, whereas uh, Solomon hit them with whips, you're going to whip them with scorpions, cat of nine tails. And whereas the weight of Solomon might have been as the size of your ring finger, uh, you need to make it as the size of your waist. You need to just let oppression fall upon the people. Well, the people rebelled. Ten tribes pulled out. And they picked a man named Jeroboam, who was no better than Rehoboam, to be their leader. And so from this point forward, through the history of Israel, you have a northern kingdom and you have a southern kingdom. There is Jeroboam and all of his folks that came along after him. And so often, and we've already read it this morning, they talked about the sins of Jeroboam. Well, what were the sins of Jeroboam? Well, Jeroboam built uh, altars to false gods. And Jeroboam set up worship in the city of Dan and in the city of Bethel. He put golden calves up. You remember these golden calves that had come out of, out of Egypt with? And the same kind of thing that Aaron had built when they sinned against God in a great way. He set up two golden calves because he didn't want people to go to, uh, to Jerusalem to worship. He knew if they did that, they'd begin to turn their hearts back toward Judah. And he didn't want that. He wanted them to have their hearts toward him. So they set up golden calves. And they went even beyond that, the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, you know, Ahab became the king. Dr. R.G. Lee, who preached a classic sermon on Ahab, Jezebel, and God's judgment on them, the sermon is entitled, Payday Someday. He described Ahab 
as a vile human toad that squatted on the throne in Israel. That's a pretty bad picture. A vile human toad that squatted on the throne in Israel. The worst king that, ever, that Israel ever had, according to what God's Word said. And his wife Jezebel was always there to just stir him up and stir him up and stir him up. So you've got a political kingdom that is divided. Politically, they were divided. Religiously, they were confused. There was no clear voice. The Bible says where there is no vision, people perish. Where were the people that could articulate their faith? Where were those that could lay out a clear vision for where the nation needed to go? And so where there is no vision, where there is no voice, the people perish. They were people who had been entrusted with God's law. And so this is what they began to do. God had said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I mean, he made that clear. That's the very first thing that he said, Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is only one God. God, only one God, only one king. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They were not to be a pluralistic society, only one God. They were, to not, they were not to make any idols, lift up any idols, not to make any graven images. They were not to take the name of the Lord their God in vain. They were to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and also the whole Sabbath system is laid out in God's Word. They were not to covet. They were not to bear false witness. They were not to dishonor their father and mother. They were not to steal. They were not to commit adultery. They were not to commit murder. God says, when a nation has forsaken my law and gone away from me, judgment is going to come. And I'll tell you the folks, the people in Israel, they were living in a state of religious confusion. There was one law that became common in their land. One thing mattered. Their greatest expression of their religion was, be tolerant. Tolerance ruled the day. primary religion in our country today is tolerance, depending on who you are. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, stood at the end of the 19th century, and he uttered a prophecy for the 20th century, and this is what he said the church would be at the end of the 20th century, and now we're 15 years removed from that. He said, by the end of the 20th century, this is what would be proclaimed. We would have in our country religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. That's what happens when there's no clear word. That's what happens when there's no vision. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry, 
A little over a year ago, we began Take Art Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. I'm sure there are a lot of people say, well, we're really concerned about the direction we're going in our country, and yet they're going to go on with their ball games and everything else when they should be setting aside some things and realizing this is the day when nothing is as normal. We have a country that religious, but where is the power of God in our midst? A lot of folks proclaim Christianity, but I'm telling you, you can go to churches that proclaim Christianity, and you'll never hear the name of Jesus mentioned. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness. You can be forgiven, just, yeah, just be forgiven. You are forgiven. But forgiveness only comes through repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Just join our church, just be baptized. You don't have to be born again. That's just some kind of old fuddy-duddy evangelical language. What is that all about anyway? Politics without God. Proclamation of heaven without, without the proclamation of hell. So politically they were divided. Religiously they were confused. Morally they were corrupt. A part of their pagan worship was the construction of groves. Now you say, well, I have a grove, I have an apple grove or I have an apple orchard or I have a peach grove. No, that's not what it's talking about. The construction of groves, they were provided as a place for worshipers who would go into male and female prostitutes to be serviced. This was a part of Baal worship. It was a very pornographic society. They constructed Asherah poles to honor the Canaanite goddess Ashtaroth. These poles were constructed to look like the male sexual organ. And this is what they worshipped. By the way, that has even flown on flags in this past week. You see, Ashtaroth was a fertility goddess. And their worship centered around sex. Eventually, altars would be built. Eventually, children would be offered on those altars, live children offered in a burning fire to Molech. Morally, Israel had lost it. So politically, they were divided. Religiously, they were confused. Morally, they were corrupted. Financially, they were weakened. They had to pay for so many wars that they began even more to oppress the people for taxes, just to provide the government services. They could not protect their population, so they began to buy off the nations that surrounded them. Folks, read the Bible. This is right there. And so if they thought Assyria was coming, they'd hire Egypt. If they thought Egypt was coming, they'd hire Assyria. If they thought Egypt and Assyria was coming, they'd go after another country. But they were hiring mercenaries around them to protect them, all of this to try to buy off people that were around them. And it finally came to the place that they had to go into the temple 
the temple and take away all the gold and all the silver and send it off to buy off. Financially, they were at a point of collapse. They had nothing left to give. And so finally, appropriately, God who had watched all of this became angry. There always comes a time when enough is enough. He was provoked. If you can imagine the God in heaven being ticked off, he was ticked off. Angry, righteous indignation. This is where Israel found themselves. Look around you today, folks. This is the distressing part. Look around you and be distressed at the righteous work. Then I look within and I'm depressed. You say, oh, what a positive message this morning, Brother Monty. Psalm chapter 11, verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Really, what can we do when the foundations are destroyed? Well, I'll tell you what they did, what a lot of them did. Some of them hid. They went to a cave and hid, the Bible tells us. And so they were still worshipers of the one true God, but they were, and they were prophets of the one true God, but nobody was listening to them. Their life was in, a da- in danger, and so they just thought, let's go hide. Some of them kept silent. There's a man we're going to meet in a few chapters. His name is Obadiah. And Obadiah's counsel to Elijah was, you just need to be quiet. What you're saying is not going to please the king. Just don't say anything. Just be silent. And you'll keep your head on your shoulders. And some paid a price. Jezebel saw to it that many were martyred and put to death because they had stood against her and Ahab. So you can hide in a cave, or you can keep your mouth shut, or you can perhaps be martyred, or yet, even after all of this that went on in Israel for a great period of time, when, when Elijah, at a point of real desperation, crawls up under a juniper tree and says, Lord, I want to die. I'm the only one you've got left. It is our God who says to him, Elijah, I've got 7,000 left who have not broke faith with me. They have not bowed their knee to Baal. They have not sacrificed unto a foreign God. I've got 7,000 left. You don't know, Elijah, what's going on. And I say to you this morning, folks, I believe it's only because of God 7,000 plus in the United States of America that I have not been judgment already fallen. God delayed judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah because of righteous lot. The Bible says he grieved his soul, but God withheld judgment until Lot got out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'll say to you this morning, God has left in this country a remnant who have not bowed the knee to Baal. They've not bowed the knee. I think about these folks. How that family by family, they kept Passover year after year. They kept it traditionally. They kept it righteously. They kept it religiously. They remembered a God who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And in remembering that God, I'm sure they must have said, maybe God will lead us out as well. God who has the ability to turn things around. And again, to quote Corey Tinboom, she said, in heaven there is never panic, only plans. God in heaven never panics. He only plans. Perhaps they reflected these 7,000 from time to time when they come together and they'd 
observed Passover. They might remember the day that Solomon dedicated that big, beautiful temple in Jerusalem, and the power of God fell that day. And Solomon cried out to God that day, and God answered Solomon that day with these words. These are the words of God in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And folks, they held on to that promise. They did not bow the knee to Baal. They did not worship Ahab and Jezebel. They did not go into the groves. They did not practice the heathen religions. They continued to just stand, and God heard their prayers. In their helpless place, when they felt outnumbered, we're not like that, folks. There are a lot of people in this country. There are a lot of godly people in this country who have not bowed a knee to ball. We've not given up yet because we know that our hope does not come from Washington, D.C. or from the Supreme Court or from the president, from the executive branch or the judicial branch. And if you're hoping for the legislative branch, give it up. It's not the legislative, it's not the executive, it's not the judicial. Our hope comes from our God. That's the only place we can look, and that's the only place we need to look. So I look around, and I'm distressed. And I look within, and I'm depressed because I feel like I've lost a family member, like something inside me has died. I want to fly the flag at half-mast. But when I look at him, I realize that Supreme Court Decisions don't matter to God. They don't change. They don't change God. Train keeps on running. The engineer is still in control. God, you think what happened this week was a surprise to God? You think what happened in 1973 when we legalized abortion in America and brought on a heinous sin upon our people, do you think that that came as a surprise to God? It did not. And where we are today has not come as a surprise to God if God uses it in our lives to refocus us and make us understand that these are the best days to be alive. Now's the time for the light to be on the hill. Now's the time for the city to shine forth. Now's the time not to put it under the basket. Now's the time to put our eyes upon him. So I look to him and I'm at rest. In a darkened, messed up world, the engineer, my engineer, is still running the train. And this is what I notice. Every time in the pages of history, in God's Word, every time when Satan has, has raised up his man to sit on a throne, God raises up his man to speak into the nation. Every time an Ahab is raised up, God raises up an Elijah. And so, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and Elijah, the tish bite, not the tick bite, not the fish bite, but the tish bite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Let me just say, you couldn't be any further than the backside of the desert to be in Gilead. It's across the Jordan River. And I can just picture a little dirty, dusty, dirty town, not much of anything. And I can just picture a little boy that's growing up, maybe a hard scrabble resistance. I don't think he went to seminary. I don't think he did. I doubt if he went to Harvard or Yale. I just say that God raised him up. This is how God does things. He raises up his prophets. 
And you say, well, if he raised up his prophets and he comes and they come out of, uh, here's a man that's a Tishbite, and he raised up his prophets and they come out of Gilead. Oh, is there no balm in Gilead? Yeah, yeah, there is. There is salvation. There is hope coming out of Gilead. So he raises this man up and he brings him out of Gilead. And you say, Ahab is not going to listen to him. Yeah, God raised up some little boy, some little girl here in this country who says to our leadership in our nation, what you do is not right. The direction we're going is wrong. They're going to say, oh, you child, you don't know anything. And so I know they said Elijah is crazy and nobody worries about him because here's what he said. No more rain. Now, I pretty much learned by watching all the weather channels in central Missouri, if they say no more rain, don't go cut your hay. Don't do it. If they say no more rain, it's going to rain for sure. I understand meteorologists that when they graduate from school, they get a coin. They flip it, and they tell you what the weather's going to be. And so here's Elijah, and Elijah said, no more rain, and... (laughs) No more rain except I say so. Well, who are you, Elijah, to say so? Who do you think you are? You're way too big for your britches, you, you tish bite. And a week passes with no rain, and a month passes with no rain. Nobody's worried about it. There are seasonal patterns. Somebody's saying, hey, this is just a natural thing. It's global warming. And uh, you just need to understand this is climate change. And, that's what, and, then, and so a month passes, and then there's three months that pass, and there's no rain. And now, let me tell you what's going on at, the, at Baal, at, at the prophets of Baal. They're praying for rain. They're having a rain dance. They're crying out to their gods. God, would you please send rain? Now, three months pass, six months pass. A year passes, no rain. 18 months go by, no rain. Two years, no rain. They're out looking for rain. They're out looking for water. You say there's no way, there's nothing in, this, in, in, in our hope today, there's nothing at all that can ever get the attention of our leaders. We're just going down this path, going down this path, going down this path. When God begins to judge a nation, he gets its attention. I don't even know what that would look like. You say, well, where does this put us as believers? Folks, we're long for the ride. Moses said to the people standing at the Red Sea, stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. You say, is it going to get worse? It may get worse. It probably will get worse. But if if it didn't rain for three and a half years, you think about it. I, I tried to think this morning while I was sitting out on the porch. If it didn't rain for three and a half years, what would this country look like? All of our trees would die. All of our streams would be, dry up. All y'all that are living on wells, that'd be everybody in this building. You say, well, I'm not living on a well. i got city water. Where do you think they get that water? They're stealing it out of my well. That's where they're getting it. (laughs) Missouri River run dry. Say it couldn't happen. I'm not saying that's how God would do it, but I'm saying God could do it. There's not one of you this morning that believe in the one true God 
the God that we're talking about, there's not one of you, but what knows that God could do it? Or you could say, they want water, we give them a lot of water. And so we could wallow in the mud and the muck till our houses wash away. God could release the winds. See, God has a way of getting our attention. Elijah said, only by my word, this is what it says. He says, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth there before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I have to stop. He shut up heaven. He summoned Ahab. He challenged the prophets of Baal. He rebuilt the altar that had been broken down. He called down fire from heaven. He executed judgment according to the word of God. This was this man, Elijah. And this is the day when we need Elijahs. Lots of them. Leonard Ravenhill, a great preacher, gone to be with the Lord now, said the question of our day is not where is the Lord God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? Who will stand up for God? Who will speak for God? Who will proclaim the truth and do it rightly? The engineer who still runs the train, he's going to keep on running the train. Perhaps he'll raise up another Elijah. Perhaps he'll let us dry up. But one thing I know for sure, he will not abandon us. God's not going to abandon me. You say, well, if you perish, well, Eli, uh, uh, Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If you really believe God's word, you can't be scared with heaven. You say, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? This much I do know, God is not going to abandon his true church. He's not going to abandon his people. He might abandon this nation, but he'll not. He, you see, he's abandoned nations before, but he will not abandon us because the only reason he has not abandoned us to this point is because of a godly remnant. He does not abandon his own. He does not abandon the persecuted, and he's not abandoned the martyr. He is with them all the way through, and there will be a living generation that will see the deliverance of God. There will be a generation, God's Word says, that will not die. This could be our generation, or it could be generations yet to come, but there will be a generation that will be caught up into the sky to be forever with the Lord. We don't know when that's going to happen. Could these be the days of Elijah? I put Elijah's challenge before you. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he meets the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel on the mountains of Carmel. And he lays it out before them there on Mount Carmel. But he says, Today, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, then serve him. If God be Baal, then serve him. But you can't straddle a fence anymore. You're going to have to make a choice. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. We're all going to have to choose. 
It cannot be what politically is politically expedient. It cannot be what uh, financially is comfortable. Serving God when you're called a bigot or intolerant, those are things that our generation is going to have to deal with, and yet going through loving people and understanding that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives, but the God who answers by fire, He is God. You're going to have to choose. Some of you have been on the fence way too long. You've, you've already been at the point where you've said, well, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But when push comes to shove, you look for the nearest cave. Some of you have learned how to accommodate the errors of our day by just keeping your mouth shut. You've just gone silent. You've been an Obadiah. Some will be martyred. But I'm calling this morning for 7,000 people that will not bow to Baal or to Ahab or to Jezebel. And you say, well, okay, so I'll be one of those. Then it may mean, first of all, you need to publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Now would be a very nice time to be silent, wouldn't it? But, and you've done this for quite a while. Don't you think it's about time you took a stand? Don't you think it's about time you joined with the people of God and began to walk following Jesus Christ as a part of a local church? Don't you think it's time you stopped hiding in the darkness and stepped into the light and proclaimed the name of God? There is no God but our God. Let's pray together. And as we pray this morning, as it always is the case, this altar down here is open. And maybe you would be one that would say, I am willing, Lord. I, I will stand. I will. I'll stand lovingly, but I will stand. I face the storms that may come, but I will stand. Nobody knows what they may look like, but storms will come. And, and I will stand. Will you be one of those? Will you be, will you be one of the 7,000? I'm, I'm not speaking of a literal number, but just to say... Uh, we need far more than 7,000 across this country. Will you be one? Will you be one this morning that you would say, I've kind of been straddling the fence, halt between two opinions, but today I will publicly confess Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I'm a believer, and I'm not ashamed of it. And I'll follow Christ in believer's baptism. I'm not ashamed of Him. I will stand. I'll stand for my family. I'll stand for my country. I will stand. And so this morning as we give this invitation then will you come to Jesus Christ? I'm going to be down here and counselors will be down here. Now, beyond that, there are going to be those that need to come and get on the knees of this altar and just simply say, I want to be a modern-day Elijah. Not where's the Lord God of Elijah. He's still running the train. But where are the Elijahs of God? Will you be an Elijah for God? Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon Him. And if today 
you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.